Okay. All right. I'm sure this will make it a lot more enjoyable uh, to listen to me where you can uh, where you can hear me. So uh, let's uh, let's now go forward with you hearing me. And I apologize. I got so used to uh, talking about uh, things at my office and not using this beautiful microphone that I have um, that I forgot to uh, enable it tonight. So let's start over again. I want to wish you all a good evening and uh, ask you to participate if you want uh, through my chat room on YouTube. Or of course, if you have questions after this, uh, welcome to contact me. Let me give you a little bit of an update that I uh, was talking about before. Uh, Damian McFadden uh, was unable to appear tonight. He apologizes. He had a family emergency and uh, he wants to uh, obviously wish everybody, um, uh, apologize to everybody, and he will uh, come uh, and reschedule with us in the very near future. Um, one of the things that we're looking at is uh, we have a bunch of guests that I've uh, booked for the next couple weeks, and we're going to fit them in. I'm hoping to go to two times a week if I can, as I mentioned before, uh, when nobody could hear me. I'm fortunate or unfortunate enough that I have so much business from all of you that uh, I'm busy working at night and not able to always uh, get to these podcasts or video casts. But I hope to uh, to get better at that and have more time to uh, provide you with this information. Having said that, tonight we're going to do two things. We're going to the first format or first part of the video cast is going to be updating you on the governor's orders as well as. Uh, openings and closings as they relate to the Tri-County area. The second part is going to be discussing a couple interesting cases uh, that we'll have, maybe questions that you have regarding uh, ongoing issues at your associations that I can address through the uh, live chat feed. So first of all, uh, on May 14th, the governor issued an order extending the foreclosure, mortgage and uh, foreclosure ban and the eviction ban or he calls them the uh, relief. Um, he extended that till June 2nd of 2020. Um, so obviously there's a, a little bit of a, uh, of a period now that he's allowing some additional time for everybody to try to get back on their feet. Don't know if that's soon enough or not. Um, obviously for associations, that's not the best of news because it limits us and our ability to foreclose for non-payment. Uh, if the judges, and remember we talked about this before, if the judges equate foreclosures of association assessments with mortgage foreclosures. Some have, some have not. We are pressing forward until we are told not to or until uh, either one of the three uh, districts come back or the circuits come back and tell us we're not going to move forward on these. So far it hasn't happened. Um, with eviction relief, that does not affect associations. Have we spoken of this before? When we go to evict somebody, it's for violations, not non-payment. And the only time it is for non-payment is for the association's uh, owner, uh, the owner at the association for whom the tenant is residing who doesn't pay. And that is, I think, a different eviction than a regular tenant-landlord eviction. That's an eviction based, again, on assessments. So as long as those are permitted, I believe that will be permitted to go forward. So that's the executive order issued by the governor. Let's get into a little bit of what uh, what's going on with Miami-Dade and Broward, as well as Palm Beach. So Palm Beach is basically opening up beautifully. 
Um, although a lot of people are not coming out to the stores, restaurants, and so forth, it is more open to business than the other two counties south of it. Um, right now, with respect to Miami and uh, Broward, the only difference that appears, and again, we're going to know a lot more on Friday, and I'm going to hopefully update you this weekend, uh, when the governor actually signs the bill, uh, right now, uh, the governor is not allowing gyms at private communities to open. So one difference is Broward will be allowing apartment complexes and homeowners associations to reopen their gyms. And when we say homeowner associations, I believe that a consistent thing that's going to go on for the foreseeable future. Also, with regards to gyms, I do believe that what the governor will issue and what you should put into place is what we've talked about in the past, uh, social distancing, no contact, um, ensuring that no more than 10 people, if that even can fit into your gym with social distancing are allowed and providing means and method to allow people to clean up after them. You know, I spoke to one of my uh, many property managers that I'm fortunate enough to deal with and we were talking about the gyms and reopening the gyms eventually what will happen. So one of the questions I asked was, how and what do you have with regards to uh, sanitizer, uh, so wipes to clean up after people using it? And that person told me, oh, we have them. The problem is after a day or two, they disappear. And ultimately, that is a problem. And what I suggest and what I think we can do as an association is implement a policy that provides that owners must come to the gym or to the pool facility with wipes or some type of uh, approved uh, sanitizer or antibacterial uh, uh, spray or so forth with a cloth that they will clean up after their use of the property, whatever that may be. And I think that really uh, puts the burden more on the owner than the association to supply this and to have to worry about, you know, how many times are we buying the same bottle of Purell every week? Having said that, if you have an option or opportunity to put one on the wall, one that's a little more secure, I think you should do so. If you don't, then absolutely, by all means, mandate that to the owners. And again, we've spoken about this on a number of occasions. We really need to look at rules and regulations. You really need to implement this right now when the board has really heightened powers under the emergency order of the governor that you can go ahead, implement this faster, uh, put it into place right away, not have to wait all this time for members to look at it, 14 days to pass. These are issues of life and death, I believe. And I think that you're well within your rights to go ahead and implement this now rather than wait. So Miami's not reopening gyms as of yet. Of course, we'll know more when the governor issues his order on Friday. Hopefully it will be on Friday and we'll go forward from that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about contact tracing. Um, you know, one of the things I get from, uh, and I've had owners call me up and send me emails saying, listen, uh, this stuff about what you're limiting our associations, you know, one, they threaten, of course, not to pay. We've discussed that a number of times. You can't do that. But the other thing they say is, listen, um, how do you know if I'm at a pool or I'm at a gym and I develop the virus that somehow it caused or it was caused by being over there. So what they're doing a lot right now in Europe and Asia and that we're talking about doing more in here is what's called contact tracing. 
And what contact tracing is, is where you go ahead and you, first of all, you sit with somebody. Uh, obviously, one way that they're looking at doing this is through cell phone tracing, tracking where you've been, what you've done. But the other thing they're looking at is talking to people and saying, okay, tell me where you've been in the last 10, 15, maybe 20 days. Retrace those steps. And they go back and they look to see where people were and where potentially they may or may not have been in contact with somebody who had the virus or an opportunity to have the virus. So it's, a, it's, it's not an easy science, but it is definitely scientifically done in such a way that gives them an opportunity to trace back and see where potentially you may have caught the virus. Why is this important? Well, we've talked about lawsuits and litigation. And one of the things I know Damien was prepared to tell you about is that most of your policies, if not all, specifically exclude COVID damages and COVID injuries. And let me tell you something. If somebody dies or is severely permanently injured as a result of contracting COVID at an association facility that was not properly monitored, not properly uh, 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 social distance, for, for lack of better terms, where, where people were mandated to do that, where there were a set of rules and regulations that everybody was about to abide by, where it was more of a, you know, we trust you, we know you're going to do the right thing. Associations are looking at solid, serious litigation, okay? This is not just a slip and fall, which many times are worth hundreds, if not thousands, uh, hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, to associations having to pay out for negligent maintenance of your property, negligent construction, negligent supervision of the contractors who did work. Uh, I'll tell you, I have a great association, very good people. Um, They hired a contractor who came out, uh, did the work, didn't do it properly, used a company that uh, it's a well-known company, supplied its tiles that were not deemed for the purpose necessary of being outdoors and having some tack to that. And people fell on them. At least one, maybe two people, from what I understand, it was prior to my representation, fell on that and were severely injured, as they claimed. And the association paid a lot of money on this. And these are claims that could have easily been avoidable. Same thing here. Uh, COVID is going to be a recognized claim. You have business interruption. You have all kinds of issues arising from COVID claims that are seriously going to impact associations now and in the future if and when somebody gets uh, the, the virus, somebody dies from it, or is severely impacted from it. Even interruption in their own livelihood or ability to earn a living where they have to care for themselves or be cared for, not only spend the money on that, but lose the money on income. So all of that is things that are going to adversely affect an owner, and they're going to look for attorneys who are willing to try, put some money down, and feel that there is a benefit to them and, of course, their client. But, of course, attorneys are looking, especially on contingencies, for benefit from them to go forward and and bring a cause of action. So you really need to look at this from a very business-wise, sensible uh, perspective and understand that just because your owners are upset right now, just because they're, you know, for lack of a better word, jonesing to get to the pool, to get to the gym, if you can't facilitate a healthy, safe environment, you most likely should not allow them to do so until you can. Again, I think if you pass rules and regulations, if you put some things down there in writing where people acknowledge it, and you can acknowledge I'll, I'll tell you a quick 
thing about uh, negligence. You cannot waive negligence in Florida. However, you can be put on notice of things that are excluded, that you agree to exclude, if they are specifically enumerated and you sign on it. So what I would do is I'd set up a set of rules and regulations, and then we'd go ahead and every owner who wants to use a facility would sign off on that. Now, is it a guarantee? Is it 100%? Absolutely not. But we would tailor it in such a way that would give the association the best opportunity to provide it, the association, with protection against potential future claims, as well as letting the owners know you're using it at some risk, and here are your responsibilities, here are your obligations, here's what you have to do, here's what you can do, and if you don't do this, then you acknowledge that it's not the association's fault and the association should be exempt from that. Because ultimately, if you are not covered by insurance, let me tell you what happens. An owner gets a judgment against the association, and then the association has to special assess its members to pay for that. If it refuses to do so, a receiver is appointed by the court for the association against its will, if you will. Uh, a play on words there, but seriously, against the association's desire or agreement to do so, a receiver is appointed. That receiver is then paid by the association, whether it likes to or not, and has the full power of the court to um, assess all of the members for that judgment. Now, the receiver has special powers, can sit there and say, look, I'm not gonna assess you over six months, I'm gonna spread this over a year, over a year and a half, something reasonable, but certainly will do so, will then have the right to foreclose, and every month that receiver's in, uh, um, uh, in power at the association doing its work, they are entitled to recover their fees and whatever costs they're incurring on top of the judgment that they're collecting. And that's all by court order. So it's, this is very, very serious stuff. I'm not just trying to uh, uh, scare anybody or, or, or you, know, uh, you know, cry wolf in the, in the forest here. These are issues that certainly I want to protect my clients uh, and anyone out there who, who's interested in, in being protected by this. I, I want to help you and, and give you guidance on what to do and how to do it. Because I truly believe that there are ways to avoid maximum exposure and that you can minimize that to, uh, to a certain degree. Um, looking here, if there's anybody having any questions about that. Uh, but again, I think that we can implement uh, rules and regulations, uh, do them in such a way that can uh, protect the association, put owners on notice, and that way you really have a balance. You have the owners on the one hand saying, great, we get to use the pool, fine, I'll sign it. Not a problem. And you got the association, on the other hand, coming back to its shareholders, which are all the owners, saying, listen, we're protecting you as best as we can. We're doing what's right. And we're, we're implementing a plan of action that both takes into account the owner's rights to use the property that they're paying for and our right and obligation to protect all of our owners against potential litigation. And that's something that you really should consider and, uh, and, and think about as a board uh, to implement. Okay, I don't see any questions about these issues. Again, I'm gonna update you as the weekend comes around with regards to what the governor implements specifically with Broward and uh, Dade, Miami-Dade County. If there's any further discussions regarding Palm Beach and how or what that changes with regards to HOAs or condos, of course, co-ops, I will let you know as well. 
Um, I want to do a new segment that I'm going to add now to hopefully all of my video casts and podcasts, and that's a, a an issue of attorneys uh, litigation and and going over certain issues that may or may not affect your specific association. So in the future, we're going to talk about one of the big, big ones. I'm going to devote really an entire half hour to this, I think, is breach of fiduciary duty. I've heard so much about that lately, about boards being threatened with and some even being sued for issues regarding breach of fiduciary duty and really what it means and doesn't mean and whether or not you really should or should not be concerned about that. But today I want to talk about, and this is uh, only in the realm of a condominium association, is a uh, mandatory pre-suit arbitration. So we do have that also in HOAs. Uh, In HOAs, as you will recall, if you are going to file suit against an owner or an owner against the association for things other than uh, property rights, you know, divestment, purchase of property or assessments and so forth, uh, things dealing with title, anything else dealing with the documents enforcement or otherwise has to go through a pre-suit arbitration phase. And that's basically a notice, 20 days to respond, a list of at least five mediators for which the other side should pick, and then within a statutory time, have a mediation to try to resolve that. I find that those mediations are very effective. Most homeowners do not want to spend the money on half of the mediator's fees, which is mandated, as well as, of course, their own attorney's fees that they have to spend on. So that's with associations, HOAs. Now with condominiums, um, there is a pre-suit arbitration requirement. So really what that is, it's called a mandatory non-binding arbitration. And it's it's before the Division of Land Sales, that's a um, governmental agency up in Tallahassee, um, that arbitrates cases between condominium owners and condominium associations. Um, any owner, any association uh, not pleased with the results of those uh, arbitrations can then appeal them directly to circuit court and it becomes a brand new case in front of the circuit court. And at that period of time, the arbitration ruling is persuasive, but it is not the law of the case. It is not dispositive of your rights before a judge. You can argue all kinds of issues as to why the arbitrator was wrong or was right, depending on what side, of course, you fall. The issue I'm going to address right now is a case that talks about whether or not it is mandatory to arbitrate prior to going to circuit court, and if you don't do so, what the the ramifications are. So there's a case out there that talks about the fact that if you go ahead and you file a case first as in a condo realm uh, in front of a a judge without first arbitrating, that the uh, remedy and it's called the need case, Cypress Isles. But the remedy of that is a dismissal. And as part of that dismissal, many times, as they should, judges will award attorney's fees for the party moving to dismiss for failure to arbitrate the case, as is required under Florida law, uh, Chapter 718. In this case, a condominium unit owner waived the obligation to do so Uh, when the association uh, um, uh, filed a counterclaim based on the unit owners moving first to file a circuit court action. So let's kind of go into what that means. So the the, the, um, 
the owner filed a lawsuit against the association in circuit court without first going to arbitration, as is required. The association didn't mind this. Uh, oftentimes, you will hear from associations, and I will advise, and actually I advise this on both sides, is that going with uh, a circuit court action is oftentimes uh, more fruitful than arbitration. Arbitration has very limited discovery, depositions, and so forth, and you really don't get to the heart of the action as well as you do in a circuit court action that gives you a lot broader uh, rights of discovery. On the other hand, it's a lot more cost-effective to arbitrate. The problem, of course, is when you don't feel like you've gotten your, I don't want to say pound of flesh, but your ability to address all of the issues in the case, you then will appeal it anyways and go back to circuit court, having spent anywhere from three to $7,000 or so on an arbitration. So in this case, the owner files against the association and the association litigates the case for two years and then files a counterclaim. Well, the moment the, uh, the association files a counterclaim, the unit owner comes back and says, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? You have to arbitrate first. And the, uh, the court found, and, and I think it was a great ruling and a fair ruling, that because of a number of factors. So one of the courses, what's called judicial economy, courts look and say, look, it's at this point, we've been litigating these issues for so many years, they're intertwined. We're not going to dismiss one side, not the other side, and then have either what's called competing rulings or potentially where that other side is, is not pleased with their ruling comes back to the circuit court action, which is uh, maybe ready for trial or so forth. But more importantly, what the court uh, um, did is it rejected the duty to comply with the mandatory pre-suit arbitration because the, they found that the intent of the statute was not furthered by compelling arbitration that would in fact to be contrary to what the purpose was. And the purpose was is that if you're going to arbitrate, then you arbitrate all your issues and you go forward from that point. In this case, because so much of what had occurred was already going on in the circuit court, it was a waste of judicial economy and a waiver by the owner to mandate this. So when the owner comes back, or and it would have gone both ways, by the way, I believe. Same thing as if, if the association sued the owner, and after two years without the owner challenging the right to arbitrate prior to going to court, if the owner then filed the motion uh, for leave to file a counterclaim and the association said, uh-uh-uh, not so fast, you need to first go and arbitrate before you come here into court, I think the court would have done the same thing and said, no, association, you can't mandate that after you didn't comply with it as well. And that's really important when you're looking at this case um, because, uh, you know, uh, we'll see how obviously all the districts follow or don't follow this, but it's really important that um, uh, we recognize the fact that when you waive a known right that you have, you cannot then come back later and say to the other side, when they're doing the same thing, not so fast, we're going to enforce it with you, but not with us. And that's what's important about out of this case, especially with the pre-suit uh, arbitration. Now, Many associations like the pre-suit arbitration, uh, and they like it because they believe it mandates uh, uh, an extra layer there before you go to circuit court with an opportunity to resolve it. Comment. So, what have I done? 
And I've done this uh, for at least two associations, and I've seen another association uh, with another law firm follow suit as well. I have for condominium associations amended documents to include the HOA pre-suit mediation requirement. Why is that good? Well, I spoke about it a little earlier today, uh, this evening. Pre-suit mandatory mediation is, is as follows. I'm suing you, homeowner. You built a, uh, let's say you painted your house the wrong color and you didn't get approval. So I'm going to sue you to, to remedy that, to, uh, to fix the paint. And you say, great guy, you're going to sue me right now, send me a letter, so on and so forth. Forget you. I'm not going to do any of that. No, I'm going to comply with the statute. And now I'm going to do the same thing for condos and put this in the statute. And what does the statute do? It says to John Doe homeowner, you have to not only participate in pre-suit mediation, you have to pay half of the mediator's fees, which are at least four to $600, depending on how long and how much the mediator charges. And I will tell you that most mediators now are in the four to $500 range. Uh, I don't know any of them that are under 350. And the second part is, as a homeowner, you're coming against an association with its attorney. And you need to know that most people are smart enough that they're not going to go to mediation without their own counsel. So you go to hire an attorney and that attorney says to you, sure, John Doe, happy to represent you. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to read. I've got to get up to speed on your documents. There's a lot I have to do going forward. I'm going to need a three to $4,000 retainer in addition to at least a $1,000 retainer, because we don't know how long mediation is going to go. You might want to get up and go, but it might get close and we're going to be there for some additional time. So I want to make sure that we cover the cost that I'm going to have for the mediator because the mediator is coming after me, attorney, not you, homeowner. So now repainting your house for $1,500, $2,500 is about to cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of four to $5,000 to argue it. Maybe resolve it, maybe not, but to argue it. Is that worth it? I will tell you that in my experience, nine, nine and a half out of 10 homeowners will resolve such a dispute upon notice of a mandatory mediation request. And the reason they're doing this is because they do not want to spend that money. They don't have it. They don't want to spend it. And deep down inside, I believe that they recognize they're most likely wrong or going to lose this. And in doing so, it's not worth that pound of flesh having at mediation to then go to litigation if they don't agree and spending even more money. Now, the one really cool thing, and obviously you can tell I'm a nerd for uh, my legal legal work when I say a cool thing and I, I relate it to law. The one really cool thing is if the homeowner, or conversely, if the association refuses to mediate within the prescribed statutory time, then the party moving for the mediation, okay, so let's say it's the association moving to mediate, the homeowner says nothing, doesn't respond, is not agreeing to mediate, the time passes under the statute, then the association says, fine, we file suit for the most let's say, unforeseen circumstances, because usually, at least in my 
realm of the work that I do for my clients, I try never to get into a case that I don't think we can prevail on. Or if we can't, I, of course, let my client know beforehand, even if they insist on going forward. But for the purposes of this, it's a simple cut and dry uh, paint case. Here's the color plat palettes. None of the colors that you chose are on the palettes. I think that's a clear cut case. We go ahead, we sue you because, and you didn't go to mediation. Judge says, sorry, guy, I don't agree with your position. I think uh, John here did a great job with this paint color, and I think it's close enough to your palette, and I'm not going to make him repaint it. John hired an attorney. We just spent $10,000, $20,000, depositions, hearings, motion practice, coming to summary judgment. John says, thank God I won. I get to keep my color. Attorney looks at him and goes, we can't get our attorney's fees now. John says, why not? Well, because you didn't agree to mediate within the prescribed period of time. Well, I'll mediate. That's ridiculous. Sorry. Has to be done before we file suit. And now you won. You get to keep your paint. And instead of spending $1,500 to $2,500 to repaint your house, you get to keep that color. And it costs you $22,000 for the paint job and $20,000 in attorney's fees and costs. Congratulations. So that's why mediation, mandatory mediation under the HOA Act, is such an effective way to make owners comply. One thing I tell you that I do that most firms don't do, and frankly, I think it's a, an issue of funds, is I only do the one letter. I do not sit there, do letter after letter, unless I'm requested to, letter after letter, and then the mandatory mediation letter. Unfortunately, many firms... Um, you know, it's a revenue generator is the only way to say it. Send you one letter, two letters, and then say, well, let's do mediation now. I go right away. Either fix it or mediate. And again, I will tell you an unscientific uh, uh, analysis of my success rate on that is nine to nine and a half out of 10 people, every 10 people will agree to the demand set forth in my letter and not go forward with litigation. So with that, I've uh, done my, uh, my 30 minutes or so, a little over. I always try to be uh, no more than 30 minutes. I'm afraid to uh, bore my audience. Hope I've been informative tonight. We've talked about two subject matters. Happy to take any questions. I don't see anything popping up on the board. You're welcome uh, to email me or tweet me uh, later if you wish, and I will try to get to all your, an all your questions and provide you answers. Again, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the channel. It really helps us uh, know who's out there, where, you know, to our demographics, our, our clientele, non-clientele. Uh, ring the bell or click the bell so you get notice when these go live. Follow us on, uh, on Twitter at Sheer Law Group and uh, um, go to our media page, sheerlawgroup.com forward slash media, and you'll see all of our, uh, um, all of our, uh, posts, both videos, podcasts, and of course our tweets. I thank you. I wish you a good evening and uh, I wish you only good health. All the best to you and uh, stay tuned. I will be broadcasting shortly uh, on another topic and tweeting out when that will be and what it will be. And again, we're going to have a lot of guest speakers over the next month. Looking forward to it. And again, thank you so much. Good night.